Today's sponsor is Stamps.com. Avoid trips to the post office. Use Stamps.com to buy and print official U.S. postage right from your computer. Go to Stamps.com today and sign up for a special offer. Click on a microphone at the top of the page and type in decode. Today is also sponsored by Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at Audible.com slash decode. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me best as the purple kitten wrangler at Yahoo, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you are listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about Silicon Valley's key players, big ideas, and how they are changing the world we live in. Today in the red chair in New York City is Ariana Huffington. Very few people in the world need no introduction, but this new media mogul needs exactly none. Her long and varied career is well known, most especially her pioneering efforts in creating the Huffington Post. We're here to talk about that, its new rivals like BuzzFeed and Vice, what's up with its new owner Verizon, and because we're on the eve of another Republican debate, politics. Welcome, Ariana. Thank you, Cara. So we have a limited time because you're rushing as usual, um, but I want to talk about a bunch of things. And we've known, how long have we known each other? We met uh, when the Huffington Post was just one year old right. in my living room yeah. in Los Angeles. Yeah. We were introduced by Kenny Lair, my co-founder, uh-huh. and we haven't stopped talking about it. No, we since. haven't. We haven't. I liked what Huffington Post was when many people did not. They did not think much of it or thought it was going to be a I big know, deal. I know. You're actually one of the first few people in the business yeah, that didn't who recognized you. it, yeah. who invited me to speak at the, what was then, the All Things D conference. Uh-huh. Do you remember? Yes, I do. I know. With I the did. publisher of the Washington yes, Post. Yes, you, you wiped the floor with her. It was sad. It was a sad situation. But let's talk about what's changed since then, because you're, you're kind of like an old new media mogul now. Things, I mean, you were sort of in the pioneering parts. How do you look at the Huffington Post right now? Well, constantly evolving. The Huffington Post is pretty unrecognizable now. Um, We are in 15 countries. We just launched Half Post Australia. Before that, Half Post all over the Arab world. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are launching in Mexico, China, and then we are launching a a new model, a kind of new, lighter model for Mm -hmm. smaller countries. So we hope to be everywhere, and this is really working. It's mostly a joint venture model. Right, right. We've gone into each country with a partner. Mm -hmm. And increasingly, there's competition as to who is going to go in with us. And like in Australia, in India, we went in without any investment. The partner made all the investment and all the advertising was sold in advance. So our global reach... So you're going um, for a global great. footprint yes. kind of thing. So, but publishing itself has changed online since you started. You started with these blogs that people did, and it was a, it's a relatively traditional model. I mean, how do you look at the landscape now? BuzzFeed's going on all kinds of platforms. They're doing Snapchat, Facebook, and things like that. How do you look well, at what's key. changed? Well, that is key. Distributed content mm-hmm. is now key for mm-hmm. all of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've evolved dramatically, including just hiring Liz Heron as Mm -hmm. our executive editor, who Mm -hmm. was in charge of journalism partnerships at uh, uh, Facebook, and therefore is completely knowledgeable about distributed content and what that means in how we change how we publish. And already, you know, our traffic in on Facebook, on Snapchat, on uh, all the other platforms is growing dramatically. So, our old model was first one section, mm-hmm. then gradually over 70 sections right, on every right. subject in the world. Right. Editors posting content that our own reporters had done or blogs that our bloggers had done. Now, 
our editors are producing content for other platforms. Right. As well as producing content for HuffPost, but without having to actually design a front page in 70 seconds. Because the front page anymore. is done, correct? I mean, the, the front page of the Huffington Post, the front page, yeah. is still a significant traffic driver. Okay. Uh, but that's pretty rare. But it's not web publishing anymore. It's mobile publishing, it's, correct? It's both, but right. mostly mobile. Right. I mean, over 60% of our traffic is mobile now. Mm-hmm. That's been another shift in, mm-hmm. in how we publish because different content, as you know, works mm-hmm. on mobile than works uh, on the web. Mm-hmm. So... A lot of our editors have been re-educated to think differently about stories. And also we are finding one of our big new editorial initiatives, What's Working, focusing Mm -hmm. on solutions journalism, has really paid off in terms of uh, audience, too. Right. We'll talk about your solutions because you're like the solution maker (laughs) and stuff. You've sort of moved into the sort of self-help kind of... Uh, whether it's your job or sleeping or things like that. We'll discuss that in a a minute. But in terms of, you know, when you look at competitors, you know, Jonah came from the Huffington, uh, Jonah Buzzfeed Peretti came from the Huffington Post. He sort of iterated what he was doing there. How do you look at all these competitors and have you been worried about their the changes? Because things change so quickly in this space that you could be pioneering and then be run over a second later. Well, you absolutely can be run over if you don't continue pioneering. Mm-hmm. If you ever see yourself as uh, doing maintenance, mm-hmm. then you will be run over. Mm-hmm. We've constantly seen ourselves as a work in progress, constantly mm-hmm. evolving, constantly changing. And I feel that for me, it's just about what are, what is the Huffington Post about? What is our DNA and mm-hmm. how do we present it in many, many different evolving ways? But mm-hmm. our DNA is not changing. It's We call it inform, inspire, entertain, and empower. Mm-hmm. And it basically comes down to three content pillars. One is news and information. We mm-hmm. remain preeminent mm-hmm. in news. The second is what we call what's working, which is solutions journalism, mm-hmm. but around big ideas, around innovations, around uh, great Yourself, examples of ingenuity. The third is the whole bucket around wellness and mm-hmm. reduction of stress and all the things I'm trying to convert you to very no, successfully. Yes. Stress so, works for me. I told stress you works for you. I, you write Thrive. I'm going to write Survive. How stress has helped me be a success that I am today. You're going to write Strive. Yes. Or no, don't sleep at all. You'll sleep when you're dead is my book. I don't know if you know that. Wait until my new book comes out, The what Sleep Revolution, coming out on There's April There's a sleep 6, revolution? Dedicated to you. How could you. you have a sleep revolution with everyone sleeping? It's dedicated to you. Oh, is it? <laughs> we'll see. I don't, like, I don't like to sleep. You can sleep. Anyway, we'll argue this later. It, it's funny. You, Whenever I ping you in the middle of the night, you're you're always up. So that's, that's what you claim. I don't claim. You write me back in two seconds. So. It depends on what time zone I'm yeah, on. Yeah, and then you're like, what the fuck are you up for? And I'm like, why are you up? And stuff. Who knows what time zone you're in? It's true. Sometimes you're calling from Jakarta or wherever you happen to be. Um, so, but let's finish up on the idea of what publishing has happened because, you know, you you literally have pioneered this area. What do you think is interesting or what do you think is possibly problematic in publishing going forward? Because you've got to, you know, again, the more traditional models like Yahoo and the portals are over. There's, there's questions of what works in online media. They're getting these enormous valuations. Um, BuzzFeed was just $1.5 billion. Vice, all the rest of them are getting these enormous values, and some get bought, like Business Insider. How do you how do you look at the market right now? I think the the one problem is that we talk about virality, right. independently of what is going viral. Uh-huh. And I think that's like the snake in the Garden of Eden. Okay. Like we can't just celebrate virality. Right. Uh, I think we need to also look at what content 
is going viral? Mm -hmm. What do we stand for? Mm -hmm. You know, how do we add value to people's lives, even if that value is simply entertaining them? Mm -hmm. And uh, that conversation is not really happening enough. Because why? What what is taking over? Because I think we are all kind of a little obsessed with just um, the shift that's happened, which is dramatic Mm -hmm. to distributed content, and we are ignoring what is actually being shared. Uh, What do people value? And that's the conversation that we like to have constantly at the Huffington Post, because mm-hmm. otherwise we lose track of who we are and right. what we stand for. So what do you stand for now? We stand for these three things. Right, those things you were talking News about. News and information, obviously, that's mm-hmm. paramount, but also making decisions. We made the decision to cover Donald Trump under entertainment. Mm-hmm. That's a decision that we make. We get in, to politics. You know, in how yeah. we cover politics. Right. We're now just covering politics the way everybody's going to cover politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have very many issues, whether it's criminal justice reform or gay rights, or that we stand for, that we cover exhaustively and relentlessly. Mm-hmm. And when I say cover, I always mean both our own reporters and being a hub for a very, very robust conversation around mm-hmm. these issues from mm-hmm. our bloggers. Right. And the second thing is the solutions journalism that I'm 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 very very excited about because I see it as reimagining journalism. I mean, you started in traditional journalism, mm-hmm. and you know, there's the if it bleeds, it leads. Yeah, I don't mode. want to solve any problems, just so you know. Well, you know, that's why you and I like it, right? right exactly. Because we're well, the yin and the, the yang. Yeah. I'll solve the yeah. problems, you'll create them. Exactly, that's my plan. So. Um, if you think of the copycat crimes that we mm-hmm. all lament, mm-hmm. how about creating copycat col- solutions? But mm-hmm. doing it in a robust journalistic way, not in a feel-good Thanksgiving, Christmas mm-hmm. way, mm-hmm. but c- putting the same amount of resources and energy into covering solutions. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're doing, and that's what we're doing in our new morning show that we're launching in two weeks mm-hmm. called Half Post Rise, which is going to basically... F- focus on what is working in the world. All right. I'll be sleeping during that. Uh, now, <laughs> so let, let's get, we're going to get, we're going to take a break in a second for a but who do you think is powerful in this equation? Is it a Facebook? Is it a, is it a Snapchat? What do you think, who is the new power center right now when you're thinking about I think there are multiple it? power centers and by next week there may be another power center. It's such not as like, who would it, would it, for well, example. What I'm saying is that it's not like a static universe. Right. I think VR is going to be more and more important mm-hmm. in how we present and experience news. Wow. Are you on it in VR? I don't think I can take it. We are. In fact, we are now in the process of looking at uh, two companies for M and A that are in VR mm-hmm. because we, we want to um, bring it into everything we do, when you see your brain on sleep deprivation, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you are going it's to not change gonna your mind about It's sleep. not going to work. All right. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a break for our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Ariana Huffington. If you're always on the go like myself and don't have time to sit down and read, audible.com is a great source to be able to catch up on the latest bestsellers. Listen to it while on the road or at the gym. Audible.com is a leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment on the internet. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible carries audiobooks in every genre imaginable, business, classics, history, and self-development, just to name a few. I'm currently listening to Thrive by Ariana and ignoring every piece of advice she has. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com decode and choose from over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash decode. That's audible.com slash decode and get started today. 
All right, we're here with Ariana Huffington of the Huffington Post and so many other things. We're talking about where publishing is going online and a, a number of other things. So to explain the Verizon deal to me. I just had Tim Armstrong, the CEO of AOL. So you work for the phone company on stage. So what what's, what is, he tried to explain it and he had some explanation, but how do you look at what happened? Well, Verizon, um, like AT&T, mm-hmm. um, wants to move into the content business and mm-hmm. also the ad technology business. Right. That was obviously the prime motivation. You mm-hmm. know, Tim did a great job at building programmatic, bringing Bob Lord in right. to run all that. And that was extremely attractive to Verizon. But also they launched uh, Go90, mm-hmm. which is a big content play. Right. And for HuffPost, this is great. You know, HuffPost Live is a big part of, of Go90. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, our morning show is going to be part of Go90. So you so get on these phones. For really. us, it's great distribution. Right. Did you have any worries? Because they had some issues around editorial miscontrol, I guess, and being kind. Well, at the beginning, for me, it was extremely important to establish editorial independence ground rules. Mm-hmm. And these have been established and have not been breached. So I feel very confident that they won't be breached, that they understand. And Tim certainly understands and has never interfered with the Huffington Post in almost five years now since AOL has owned the Huffington Post. So there was that little tech crunch issue, if you remember. Oh, yeah, but remember, we handled it. Right, right, right. So you, um, when you're thinking about Verizon and and what they're doing, you you had thought about leaving. Is that correct? Well, as you probably know, because you and I had talked about Mm -hmm. it, we were in conversations to spin the Huffington Post Post out that Tim was part of. Mm -hmm. And there were two offers on the table, one by a consortium and Mm -hmm. one by Axel Springer Mm -hmm. for um, uh, to either buy or do a joint venture. Right. Right. With the Huffington Post for a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. But then the Verizon deal made, and obviously, um, once Verizon decided they wanted to keep the Huffington Post, um, we moved into another world, which has been really good. I mean, we have greater distribution um, than we had. Um, there's going to be more investment in the 2016 budget. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're editorially independent. So do you do you regret not spinning off? Because you've wanted to sometimes. You sold way before everybody else did. Um, and you which sold, was great. Which was great. It gave us the resources to, to maintain our prime mover advantage. I mean, the fact that we've done so well globally would not have happened. We mm-hmm. would not have had the resources uh, to move out into the world, you know, Globally, as Globally, much as you know. you know, as fast did as we did. Do you regret did. it when you see these valuations for, like, Business Insider selling for much more? You're much bigger. They're in a, at a different... And actual Springer was the one who bought them, which is... Yeah, no, They were clearly no, looking for something. I feel it's really worked for us. Mm-hmm. I feel that all the things that I wanted to do, mm-hmm. uh, I've been able to do and remain editorially independent. So it's been really great. So how do you look at the web itself right now? What do, What are some of the innovations that you are interested in or some areas... Um, you know, you've you've been in web publishing, but things are changing. Power centers are changing. What are some of the things you find interesting? Well, I'm extremely interested in how do we open up um, the hub of conversations even more. We now have about 100,000 bloggers, but we are developing our technology so mm-hmm. that we can have millions around mm-hmm. the world. So I'm extremely interested in that. That was like, again... Um, at the inception of the Huffington Post, a big priority, one of the sayings that Kenny had come up mm-hmm. with is if you have something to say, say it on the Huffington Post. Right. And now I want to do it on a global basis. Mm-hmm. And what is great is that when we have um, 
the president of France writing a blog mm -hmm. who can translate it into multiple languages and mm -hmm. it can travel around the world. And also there is no hierarchy at the Huffington Post. So that blog may be next to someone who is a homeless teenager, as actually mm -hmm. happened, blogging on the Huffington Post. And the Harvard admissions office happened to read his blog and offered him a place at Harvard, mm -hmm. which is where mm -hmm. he is now. So you're creating a world conversation. So creating a world conversation with... Um, I mean, we are looking to how can we uh, to buy a translation mm -hmm. startup that is even better than Google translations, mm -hmm. which is not very good. Mm -hmm. And so that we can actually translate much more than we are now doing because we have to do it with human beings. Is there a downside to this? Are you worried about the over technologization like, of the world or technology? I can't even say it. Oh, I think. In our third bucket of mm -hmm. how do we reduce stress in our lives, right. we talk a lot about how do we master technology instead right. of being mastered by it. Right. I mean, you have young children, so mm -hmm. I'm sure you are aware of how completely addicted they are to yes. their devices. Well, their parents are. But and ahead. even though, you know, you and their mom are equally addicted, mm -hmm. uh, as parents, we look at it and say, hey, you know, look at me. Right. You know, look you at me in addicted? the eyes. Do you think you are? I've really worked on myself. I mean, right. for example, I stop looking at my devices an hour before really? I go to sleep. I charge them outside my bedroom. Uh -huh. I follow simple rules, right. which uh, were very hard at the beginning. But now, because they really work for me, they've become um, much easier to follow. Do you, what, what, you put them outside your bedroom. How many mm -hmm. devices do you have, Ariana? I know you have a lot. Yeah, I have uh, three yeah. uh, smartphones. I have an iPad. I have a laptop. Yeah. I have everything. So you partake. I totally partake. Yeah. I partake a thousand percent, but I also go through my digital detoxes. What do you think the impact is with all this digital? Because it's not getting less. You're thinking about investing in a VR company. You know, this is not getting less, it's getting more. It's not going to get less. For me, it's about embracing it, but also having periods during the day when you're not on your smartphone. If you're having dinner with someone you love, mm -hmm. put your smartphones away. Yeah, I'm working and, on that. You know, and be, do it in a deliberate way. It's mm -hmm. important. So, um, I mean, I'm doing that with my daughters. They're in 24 and 26, mm -hmm. and it's it. we never have our devices around if we're having dinner together. So there are small rituals like that we need to reintroduce into our lives so that we are not enslaved by technology. Mm -hmm. I like being enslaved. All right, we'll be right back. <laughs> we're talking with Ariana Huffington about being enslaved by technology. Uh, I'm a willing, I'm willing in that participation. And we're going to talk, get back when we hear from our sponsor to talk about politics. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask Ariana what she thinks about the current uh, slate of candidates. These days, you can get practically anything you want, on demand or wherever you want it. So why are you still taking trips to the post office and dealing with those limited hours and the hassle? Anything you can do at the post office, you can do right from your desk with Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any package or letter using your own computer and printer. And unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes. Start avoiding the post office and start doing better things with your time. Right now, sign up for Stamps.com and use the promo code DECODE for this special offer. A four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer offering postage and a digital scale. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in DECODE. It's that simple. Go to Stamps.com and use the promo code DECODE to get started today. 
All right, we're back with Ariana Huffington, and we're finishing up by talking two things, politics, and, and I want you to think about this. What's the thing that's most misconstrued about you, Ariana? You'll answer that at the end. But politics right now, you're, you're using Donald Trump as entertainment. Um, He's entertaining. Yeah, you so what do you think admit. of the Republican candidacies going on? Now Ben Carson's ahead. It's it's kind of comical what's happening. It is comical, and I think it's really a function of how disaffected people are with the establishment in mm -hmm. politics. Mm -hmm. And um, it's also a function of how the media have treated Donald Trump. You know, they've allowed him to break the rules. They've, they are, they've allowed him to be interviewed on multiple shows, including the Sunday morning shows on the phone, mm -hmm. which they don't allow any other candidate to right. do. Um, and so they have fed you know, the numbers. Now the numbers are softening, as right. anybody kind of... Because the show is getting tiresome. The show is getting tiresome and uh -huh. monotonous. Um, and... In the end, as so often happens uh, in this political cycle, the more established candidates will prevail. I think what happened with both Ben Carson and Donald Trump is that they both crossed a line of legitimacy. Mm -hmm. uh, I think with Donald Trump, it happened when uh, he refused to challenge the questioner in New mm -hmm. Hampshire about mm -hmm. whether Obama was born in this country. Right. Uh, with Ben Carson, it happened when he said we couldn't have a Muslim president. Mm -hmm. So these are like crossing a line. Except that they're the highest in the polls, the two of them. Yes. By but far. You remember, Michelle Bachman won Iowa. Right. The Iowa straw poll. And, so you, you have know, to have the period of crazy in the it Republican does, Party? It seems, it seems to be the case. Do you have a prediction of who you think will be the candidate? I think in the end, um, we are going to see more of John Kasich. I think Carly Fiorina is running um, a very disciplined campaign, mm -hmm. which will pay off. Mm -hmm. And um, Jeb Bush has big connections and a lot of money. So mm. I'm sure he will gradually do better than he's doing now. When Marco does that Rubio is going to be interesting, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Which one appeals to you the most? Former None. Republican. None? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but if you were to say, you know, which one you think has the best chance of moving forward, it's hard to say in this election. Oh, it's cycle. still very hard to say. Um, but I think it's not going to be either of the two front runners. Right, right. Neither of the two. So you, you're going to say Trump will be out, oh, Carson yes. will be out. Yeah. Okay. Hillary Clinton. How do you think she's doing? Uh, she had a great week. Mm -hmm. uh, but I worry about how tired she must be because, mm -hmm. you know, she did collapse from exhaustion. Yes, yes. And this is incredibly stressful. She seems campaign. to be enjoying herself I mean, this she, week. she's enjoying herself a little more now. I mean, mm -hmm. she, she had a period when she was not enjoying herself and mm -hmm. making Snapchat jokes that mm -hmm. were not working. Mm -hmm. uh, I think she had a, a great Benghazi hearing. Mm -hmm. Um, a great Benghazi hearing. She did, <laughs> okay. because, you know, they were... Well, that was a great a, Benghazi hearing. Not everybody can say yeah, that, right, but, right. you know, I think her questioners uh -huh. were so appalling mm -hmm. that the public, even Republicans, rallied around her. So right. that was a turning point. And, of course, Joe Biden deciding not to run right. is great, great news for her. Uh -huh. How do you think she will be... Do you think she will win, or do you think... She'll be the candidate, clearly. At the moment, um, I expect her to be the candidate. Uh -huh. Um, and then so much is changing, so much is happening in the world that's going to affect um, the election mm -hmm. that you and I, unfortunately, sitting in this dark room cannot predict. Right. But do you think that politics has become too much entertainment? I think it's become the way it's treated by the media is mm -hmm. really such a ratings game. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have Trump on even on the phone, yeah, like because said, the yeah. ratings go through the roof. Right. And so there is a, 
there is a personal self-interest for the shows mm -hmm. to maintain the sort of more absurd elements of the right. political game. And unfortunately, a lot of the big questions never, um, get, debated. never get debated. We just did a big, uh, a big story on um, on a worker who died in an Amazon warehouse, mm -hmm. and the story that uh, that that was so painful, really, is that how hard it was to even get that job. Right. You know, what's happening to the lower middle class? What's right. happening to blue-collar workers? We're not really debating this Instead, issues. we're talking about Mexican walls, essentially. Last question. What's the most misconstrued thing about you? You get beat up a lot in the media. You seem to be fine with it. I've, sometimes when there's negative stories, I'm like, ooh, Ariana, this is tough. You're like, I loved it. It's fantastic. <laughs> what do you think people misconstrue about you? You're often, you're often attacked in a lot of ways or made fun of or... Various I things. think people have this impression that I have an accent, mm -hmm. which is completely untrue. <laughs> I I really speak the Queen's English. Yes, I can see that. For some reason, I don't know if you've if you heard that. There I are, don't know, Ariana. There are imitations of me on Saturday Night Live. Yes, there are. Some fantastic. kind of accent I do not recognize. All so right, I do it all the time. And you do. Enjoy you do it. a pretty good but accent. Thank you. Yes. I do a good. Uh, hello, darling. Hi. Um, but what is misconstrued about you? What do you think if you had to face critics? What do you think people don't get about you? Oh, I don't think there's one thing. I think it it depends on what the topic is. I mean, people misconstrued why we handle Trump under entertainment. Mm -hmm. um, people misconstrue how much sleep I get. I don't right. think I don't I don't really feel misconstrued. You don't feel. Not you feel like all. you're getting it no, out because I you feel, seem to just go forward. I no feel, matter what. I feel very blessed. Mm -hmm. I feel very lucky to be doing a job I love. To be able to continue writing books, this is going to be my, my God, 15th book coming mm -hmm. out in April. Mm -hmm. And to have two daughters I adore and lots of great friends. So I, I have nothing to complain about. No, I feel don't. very grateful. All right. Ariana, thank you so much for being here and off to your next meeting. Thank you, Cara. Thanks a lot. Today's Too Embarrassed to Ask is brought to you by Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audible.com slash decode. Next week, be sure to listen as we talk tech innovation and soccer with famous venture capitalist Sir Michael Moritz in the red chair. Next up is our resident geek, Lauren Good of The Verge. Hey, Lauren, I'm still waiting for you to come back to my house and fix up my multiple streaming TV systems. You, you didn't arrive this week. Oh, uh, hey, Kara. Sorry, I've been really um, busy. <laughs> I've been um, up updating my operating systems. Okay. You don't do that anymore. That's the think. new washing my hair, yeah, by that's the way. A, that's from updating 1993 it is. <laughs> um, so let's talk about what we're talking today. We're talking about 4K, uh, another like another term just like OTT that is incomprehensible <laughs> to normal people. It's, uh, you're, you understand it completely. So why don't you explain what that is? Well, you're gonna you're probably gonna people. hear a lot more about 4K than you do about OTT boxes, mm -hmm. but 4K refers to a resolution. So mm -hmm. when you're talking about TVs, you're talking about pixel resolution. All right. HD, which is what we've all adopted now, mm -hmm. um, means a 1920 by 1080 pixel resolution. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about 4K, you're bumping it up to uh, 3,840 by 2,160 pixel resolution. Uh, so it's named this because saying uh, 3.84K TV is kind of cumbersome. Right. So they've just 
sort of jumped it, bumped it up to so say 4K TV because it's almost 4,000 pixels they're wide. It's, it's, not it's marketing. Marketing. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, again, 4K, it just looks better, right? Can't they just say looks better or they have to use this term? Yeah, you can say looks better. You mm-hmm. would say the same thing about HD if this was 10 years ago too. You just say it looks better. But it also depends on the kind of display technology right. that you have right. and it depends on the kind of content that you're watching. And, and the other term they use for it is ultra HD. I've been in a yep. store recently. It's the, you know, I was deciding whether to have a curved screen, but I understand that's a marketing ploy too. So it's really confusing when you get in the stores. Like it is. Ultra HD, 4K, curved screen, all kinds of stuff. It's kind of what they want. Yes. For you to be confused. confused. But UHD is essentially the same thing as 4K. It refers to the same pixel resolution. Um, some people ask me, does that mean that OLED or OLED yeah, uh, is one. the same? And and OLED or LED is different. That refers to the display technology, the mm-hmm. actual light panels that are part of the display, mm-hmm. whereas 4K or UHD refers to the resolution. So how it looks. Yep, how it looks. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, it means things look smoother, crisper, brighter. Uh, things look more true I to say life. weirder. I was just watching Quantico on ABC the other mm-hmm. day, and it was like way too. It was way too real. It looked almost like real life, and I kind of like the fuzziness a little bit. It's funny that you say that because there are some 4K or UHD display experiences where you almost feel like it creates this depth. You're looking at it, it almost looks like. Yeah weird 3D, I don't like but it's it. not I 3D. You, I don't like it. it depends on a lot of things. It depends on it's okay if the refresh rate. Bears. It depends on the frame rate. Yeah, right. right. If you're looking it's okay at with nature, but I don't <laughs> like when it shows. It's a little too real. It's like I'd like it a little fuzzier. I, I think know. we're still re- in the relatively early stages of this it's technology. Too it's too sharp. So, okay, this means twice the pixels, so the highest resolution available, essentially. Yep. Right, and it's on not just televisions. It's on... You So you're starting to hear this in things like phone displays and laptop displays. Walt mm-hmm. Mossberg just reviewed a new Toshiba laptop that has a 4k display um so it's kind of the same thing it's you're talking about these monitors that have you know twice the pixels as monitors before but when you're talking about something like a monitor or laptop it's actually different from the tv technology because tvs tend to have these powerful processors that can take all of the content that you're watching and um, process it or upscale it if need be to make it look good for the tv and your laptop may not necessarily have that processing power again not better to have it it, this is more with expensive. the right kind of content and the right sort of technology behind it, you might look at it and say, "This is the most amazing display I've ever seen." But if it doesn't have all that, you're just going to have a, you're going to be able to say you have a 4K TV, and it's right. not really going to mean and, much. And a lot, Apple's been big into this idea of these high resolution screens. They call theirs Retina, but they right. are incredibly high resolution displays. Right. right. All right. Well, let's take some questions from the people. Okay. Um, at Alex L. Roth to Lauren, 4K upscaling. What is it? When is it good? When is it a scam? Upscaling is something that you're going to hear a lot before. I hope not, but okay. <laughs> God, I hate going to the Best Buy. Now. You're in I my like world. A, I need like a PhD <laughs> to go to the Best Buy. But go ahead. What is upscaling? I think we should take a field trip to the electronics. I'd like to upscale Actually, to a nicer home. But go ahead. No, I'm not going to the electronics. <laughs> Good store luck in San Francisco. Want. All right. Uh, well, we could spend some time together at CES looking Explain at the Explain upscaling. Oh God. Oh, to go okay. To so upscaling it's it's the conversion from a lower resolution video to higher resolution video. It actually in the upscaling process, you're actually increasing the pixels to sort of make the video you're watching better fit the screen. But once again, how it ends up looking does depend on the technology that's being used in the display. It's also somewhat subjective. 
You may look at it. You, you're saying right now you look at a 4K display mm-hmm. and you're you're photographing me while I'm talking. Is that a 4K ahead, photo? No, can you it's Photoshop not, you a couple fantastic. things. Okay, anyway, go ahead. so you, you may uh, you may end up um, looking at a 4K display and saying, I don't really like the way this looks. It looks it's refreshing at a weird rate, or it's too true to life, or something like that. And other and another person may look at it and say, I think this looks wonderful. It also depends on how closely you are sitting to the TV screen. Um, that's going to impact how it looks as well. So 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 again, this is something. Another thing the consumer has to know. Now, why does the consumer have to know this stuff? I, I just don't, I, it's really perplexing to me why that is. Well, they have to know it so they can make informed decision about it. If you're going right. to buy a new TV or you're going to buy a new display and it's being marketed as right. 4K and you're wondering, is this actually better? There are a couple oh, of okay. things you, you're going to want to look for. You're going to want to look for frame rate. You're going to want to look and see if you actually, if there's actually content that you want to watch that's available in 4K. You're going to want to look at, um, I don't know, there's just, you know, the type of processor or something we'll get has. we content in a minute because mm-hmm. there isn't that much. There's some, there's, there's a lot, but it, I'm not sure there's so much. At Ed Zitron, uh, one thing not clear here. So is the experience on not 4K Sony TVs just the same as Blu-ray? That's a very good question. So a couple of the electronics manufacturers uh, like Sony have been using phrases like near 4K and mm-hmm. not saying exactly 4K. Mm-hmm. Um, they may be talking about Blu-ray discs that mm-hmm. are um, you know, upscaled to a certain resolution and they can you know, play on a 4K display, mm-hmm. uh, but they're still not exactly 4K. The movies are actually delivered, The di- you know, movies on discs are actually delivered in 1920 by 1080 resolution, and mm-hmm. then they're going to be upscaled to 3840 by 2160. Pushing it, making it prettier. Yep. We went through something very similar in the, if you want to call it the HD revolution too, where a lot of uh, standard call definition. It the HD revolution? <laughs> if you're as nerdy as I am. <laughs> yeah. uh, back in the HD revolution days. Oh, good heavens. All right, go I ahead. can't wait to so they just make it one. so it's not 4K, but it's like 4K. Yeah, they're up. They're processing it. That's yeah. just basically the best way to look at it. Okay. At Mark Hamilton, this is question. Ay, ay, ay. What is the best STB to stream 4K to my 4K TV? Oh, it always comes back what? to the set-top boxes. Oh, okay. I didn't even know. What you know what he's talking TVs. about, Kara? No. He's talking about OTT. OTT. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. So we talked about this a lot on last week's Recode. You, you need a good cable. Too embarrassed. Right? Has, okay. Which, which we, uh, we should... You should definitely go back and listen to, but uh, I think he's I think he's talking about the new video streaming boxes that are out. And which one's the best one? There yeah. are two right now that will support 4K video. One is Roku, mm-hmm. and one is Roku Four, and one is the Amazon Fire TV box second generation. The difference here, though, that is in the fine print that you may want to pay attention to is something called frames per second. Mm-hmm. So the Roku Four streams 4K at 60 frames per second. Mm-hmm. The Amazon Fire TV streams 4K at half of that frame rate. Mm-hmm. And everyone will say, "What's a frame rate? What does that mean?" It's basically the frequency. At which frames of the image are displayed. And so if you have a faster frame rate, you're going to get sort of a smoother, overall smoother experience with the video. So it looks better again. That's what it comes That's down it to. Comes it looks better. Uh, now, how much content is there available in, in these formats? Not a whole lot. Like if you're what? talking about things that are upscaled, it's because it's everything. Yeah. If you're talking about things that are natively shot in 4K, which means that someone is actually yeah. taking a camera with 4K capabilities, shooting it that way, editing it that way, processing that way, uh, then you're talking about Netflix has 4K content, YouTube has some 4K what videos. What is 4K con- What do they put? I just see polar bears at the... Polar um, bears and lakes. That's a really good question. I actually can't remember the last time off the top of my head that I watched something that was in 4K. But I don't have a 4K TV TV at home, too, so that really makes a difference. Mm-hmm. I'm mostly seeing this in lots of demos and mm-hmm. things like that at this point. Mm-hmm. And do you think it's worth it? Should consumers wait until this comes through again? I mean, they just got over HD. Now they've got to do this. 
think if you were to buy a TV now and you were to get something that had supported 4K, had a, was a 4K display, supported 4K, had a good processor, had a high frame rate, um, you would you would be future proofing a little bit, which is fine. Except then, why don't you buy the next version of it? Or you can wait. Yeah, but I mean, what, most but of these not enough will probably get cheaper. The point is content that looks good on it is what yeah, you really of course. want, right? course correct it all comes down to what you're watching so what's next what's gonna what is the next thing after 4k 5k oh that's a good question at uh ces last year we actually saw displays that were as high as 8k Mm. but those are things those are giant giant displays because you're talking about a lot of pixels and you only really get the maximum you know view viewing benefit when it's something that's very very large display and you can sit far away from it you're talking about movie theater displays or commercial screens things used for advertising and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so we could see some 8k uh, again this year at the consumer electronics show and Mm -hmm. maybe we'll start to see that trickle out but i don't think that's hitting consumers any other big trend like this I'm hearing market. a lot about HDR, which oh, no. is uh, <laughs> I just got. We can OLED. save that for I we can I save that for over. another I, episode, Kara. OLED. <laughs> I have to tell you, I'm glad I didn't buy the curved screen. I heard that was a marketing ploy. Well, I think that's another thing that comes down to how big it is. Yeah, Meaning. but you were actually considering it. Yes, I was. Just because it was. Well, cool. How did you think it looked in stores? It looked cool. This was cool. I don't know. It was a thousand dollars more, and I thought I really need to pay for that. So, what did you end up going with? Not just a big old friggin' HD TV. It's a big old <laughs> Samsung. It's on my wall. It's as big as like a car, essentially. Looks so you good. hung, you mounted it. Yeah, I like to watch Quantico on it. Okay. Yeah, I like Quantico. And are you watching that through cable? Yes. Looks fine. Looks. Good. I'm sure it does. Anyway, enough with my viewing habits, Lauren. <laughs> thank you for coming in this week, and uh, another fantastic. Uh, episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask. I'm not embarrassed in any way, by the way. (laughs) I'm glad you're not. Thanks, Kara. All right, bye. Thanks, Lauren. See you next week. And thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. We always have a new episode every week, and next week we have Sir Michael Moritz in the red chair in San Francisco talking about tech innovation and soccer. Join us then for what I'm sure will be an excellent conversation with one of Silicon Valley's most powerful venture capitalists. This has been Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by Digital Media. For more hard-hitting interviews with insiders from the worlds of tech, media, and politics, subscribe to Recode Replay on iTunes, featuring candid conversations with leading voices like AOL CEO Tim Armstrong, Goldman Sachs' CIO Marty Chavez, the team behind the hit TV show Empire, Shark Tank investor Mark Cuban, and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. They're all on Recode Replay.